we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we will blow your mind. Well, possibly. I don't know. We'll do something <laughs> amazing. We'll, we'll leave it that way. We probably won't blow your mind, but we'll do something amazing because we're going to be talking about games, something we all love, something we all enjoy. And if you just listened to the Michael Haskell uh, interview where we talked about games and role-playing and all sorts of fun stuff and his amazing book, Graveyard Shift, then you will love this episode because we're talking about games again. So with that said, uh, I'm going to turn the, the control of this episode over to Alton because he came up with a fantastic, brilliant idea. And well, you already got the, the wonderful gems uh, a couple episodes from him about the you know, the, the rules of gaming, the bronze, silver, gold, and then platinum and electrum. So uh, we'll turn it over to Alton. Oh, you guys are so nice to me. But yes, I have had an interesting thought this last week, uh, and I shared it with you guys at a very high level before the show, but I want to open it up to the world at large uh, because I think there's a lot of interesting meat here to dig into. As we think about gaming and the way that it's evolved, especially over the last 20 years, we see that there's been this growth in uh, not only the types of games that people play, but the depth and breadth and mechanics and Vorthos and art and everything else that has come in the last 20 years. And yet, every week I go into my local Target and I see on the shelf things like Monopoly, Jenga, Rook, even just classic playing cards, checker sets, chess sets, backgammon, all of these things continue to be printed and bought and beloved by so many people. And so the question that I want to pose to you and to the rest of the world is why? What are some of these classic games that really stick out to you? And what are the mechanics that glue them together that help to make these things last for such a long time in the public consciousness? So that, wow. I mean, like it's, I, I feel the weight of that question, right? <laughs> like, um, well, before the show, as an example, you brought up Settlers of Catan, which is one of my all time favorites. I'll admit that I haven't played it in many years now because I've moved on to some other titles. However, uh, I remember like almost fiending for that game. Like when it first came out and I learned how to play it, I wanted to play it every three hours. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then it came out with other expansions and m some of which I love, like Cities and Nights is, in my opinion, the best Settlers expansion out there. Eventually, the game becomes almost tropish in its popularity. You start hearing like uh, nerd level jokes or, or, or geekdom jokes that are made. You know, um, Big Bang Theory makes a whole show out of making nerd jokes. But anytime a nerd joke comes up. Uh, to, you know, 12% of the time it's about Settlers of Catan and the other 88% of the time it's about Star Wars, Star Trek and so on, right? So like Settlers has this huge footprint uh, in, in nerdosity. And um, it's a great question. Like what makes that game so appealing and, and really like bring in such a, an, an audience so strongly? And my personal opinion has to do with its simplicity of modularity. Uh, it is, it was the first, I'm trying to think if it was the first, but it was one of the first board games I had ever played that was truly modular. You could, the, the board was different every time it, you know, you had a pattern for dealing things out, but you could either customize it or randomize it or strategize it. 
Um, it, it lent itself to some very simple improvements with house rules if you so desired, but you didn't have to because the base rule set was really solid. Uh, when you added new expansions, it literally expanded the board because of its modularity. And I have found since Settlers that uh, board games and card games that offer a modular experience have appealed far more to me than more static and less dynamic experiences. Now, I have to agree. I think that was the biggest turning point with, you know, in-house board or family board games was the fact that every time you played Settlers, it was different. You know, when you play Monopoly, it's the same board. You know, the only thing that's different is who gets what, you know, what properties and when. Uh, you know, what chance cards and what community chess cards come up and in what order. That's the only randomness to that game. It's pretty much the same thing. You're always going to pass go. You're always going to end up in jail. You're always going to be lucky to sometime during the game get the, the pot in the middle. Someone will get boardwalk. Someone will totally devastate the other players and someone will walk away crying. And that's just, you know, that, or, or the board will go flying off the table. Those are the two outcomes with Monopoly. I don't know anyone that's ever finished that game uh, because yeah, there's standard- always something bad. Standard game plays between two and 14 hours. Yes. Right? You know, I regularly finish games of Monopoly. I'm just going to say that, but continue. But you, but you also play with people <laughs> that aren't overly emotional. I remember playing the game for the game, but you know, when you're playing with kids and stuff like that, that's how, generally how it goes. When you're playing in a family setting, when you get mm. to the family setting where most of your children are adults that are playing, yeah, it, it probably changes. But when Settlers came in, Every time you play, it's different, you know, where where the resource tiles are at, uh, you know, the expansions did expand upon the game. It made it more and different. Um, so I think that's what really kind of opened the door uh, for in-home games. And yeah, I, think, I oh, oh, go ahead, Alton. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I, I totally agree with both of you on that point. Settlers marks a huge turning point in gaming. Um, I think that it will go down as one of the classics without a doubt it will be something that will stay in the public consciousness for a long time because for many people that was their introduction into a much wider world of games Uh, we've talked in the past about mitigation of risk right and we see in a lot of these traditional or classic board games that you exist basically on two ends Uh, the first are games like checkers and chess even you know we mentioned tic-tac-toe before where the only risk is what your opponent does. And then on the opposite side of things, you have Candyland, pure chance. Monopoly, almost pure chance. Risk, again, strategic, but generally pure chance. You can have random blowouts out of nowhere. And so that's where I, I think this turns into a very confounding and interesting question uh, for me, because we talk about how much you know, how many bad experiences people have with Monopoly. And yet Hasbro keeps pumping them out every year. They are rebranding Monopoly, adding new mechanics or a new franchise to it, just reskinning it a million different ways. So yeah, what... it's, it's the most remade board game of all time. Well, see, and, they, and this is, go ahead, uh, finish your thought and then I'll jump in on that. They've made an entire, I'm sorry, hang on. They've made an entire, uh, like marketable profit region for themselves as a company purely from how can we rebrand Monopoly to capitalize on some fandom? So you have 
Harry Potteropoly, and I mean, they even have it by states. You have Californiaopoly and Utahopoly and, and all this other stuff. So anything that they can sink their teeth into in terms of a fandom or or just capitalizing on, on someone's interest in something, all of a sudden it's Monopoly. There are like, they've made a whole brand out of this that no other board game has even gotten remotely close to matching. Yeah, um, you know, this is, uh, I might, we, people might end up hating me for this comment, but I feel like Monopoly has become the whore of ga- board games. Um, you, they, it, and it, it's a horrible term to use, but pretty much the company that owns the rights dresses it up in the best way that pretty much appeals. You know, it's like the Victoria's Secret billboard on the side of the bus, you know, because they're like, ooh, people that like Firefly, we'll just make it a Firefly theme, throw it out there. Because they know people are going to buy it just for that. It may never be opened. It may never be played. Because Firefly is on there, they're going to buy it. Same with Star Wars. Same with Star Trek. I mean, that's why they do that. As a marketing plan, it's brilliant. You know, because they can resell the same old board game over and over. Just has a new skin, a new look. Maybe a little bit of a different mechanic here and there. You know, that's how they can resell this and continue to be profitable. As a business model, it's fantastic. As a game player, I think it's just horrible and deplorable. <laughs> Come up with something new, you know? And they have, I will give Parker Brothers this. They have tried to, here and there, try to make it more updated. You know, there was one time where it was like, there's no money involved. You're not getting cash. You get a card, you run it through this machine, it adds money, it subtracts money. You know, that's how it's doing. I thought it was a cool concept, but the machine didn't work very well. <laughs> most times and sometimes it didn't give you the proper <laughs> amount or it gave you too much it just didn't work um but they tried you know we have games like life life you know it's pretty basic it's pretty simple they're not trying to do it very much with it you know there's a couple of kids version of it um but really they're they're just leaving it as it is um See? and i which think i think is great and and I completely agree with you. The fact that Monopoly has been rebranded and redone so many times definitely adds to its longevity. Um, but the other piece that I would point out, I recently uh, was looking through the Hasbro shareholder report for 2019. I know, riveting reading on my part. But there was something that stood out. As they were talking about the various revenue streams that they had, they did talk about Monopoly as a board game. But then they also talked about Monopoly as a lifestyle brand. And they're talking about how they are licensing out Monopoly, you know, uh, pieces and trademarks and things like that um, for people to be able to use in things like home decor and cooking, etc. And so what that says to me is that that game hits some very important pleasure centers inside of people's brains. And as I think about that game and some of the things that stand out about it to me, uh, the first is, is that when you sit down and play with a whole group of people who don't understand what it is, have never played Monopoly before, it feels like random chance all the time. But during that playthrough, you get a number of upsets where somebody gets lucky and then somebody gets really unlucky and then there's this back and forth and in the end, one person pulls out so far ahead that the game comes to an end. And that's pretty cool. But then, as you start to learn more about the game and you start to consider ways to mitigate your risk and you think about things like, 
oh, I should be focusing on trading. And there are times when it's appropriate to let properties go to auction or houses go to auction just to be able to force the game along a little bit. Then the strategy starts to go up. And even though there is still a degree of randomness, people become engaged in that process of learning more and figuring out those strategies and realizing that, hey, if it's the end game, I want to be in jail. It is profitable for me to sit in jail for as many turns as possible as everybody else runs the board, right? These are things that people figure out and begin to unlock as they play these types of games. And so, yes, the rebranding does add a lot of nostalgia value for the brands that people love, but there's still something about the game itself that ticks some of those boxes in people's brains. And Krebs, I know you've talked about Battleship with some of your students. So what's one of the things with Battleship that kind of drives you down that path to have your students focus so much on it? That's a great question. I, I think it's actually the hunt. I think that um, while we're talking, you know, Battleship, having having analyzed it so many times because of having, you know, I've given it as an assignment and they code it up and things like that. Um, eventually, when it comes time to test for that, if I want it to be truly random, if they don't have a cheat key in place and stuff, um, all of a sudden, it becomes incredibly strategic. There is strategy to that game if you do it right. Uh, and and so it becomes about the hunt. How quickly can you use your strategy versus their strategy to disarm your opponent? And I think that especially because uh, that game came out much closer to you know the World War era and things of that uh, of that nature, I think that. Um, it was inspired by its history, and over time, it, it has truly gamified the concept of conflict. All games, all games to some degree, gamify the concept of conflict, right? Uh, and and I think what makes Battleship last as long as it has is is um, well, I think this is true of many games. Games that tend to stick around have low barrier to entry. They have um, sort of like uh, high risk, high reward type experiences. And uh, they allow you to customize your strategy algorithm so that it's not simply, like we've talked about tic-tac-toe. Once you understand the universal algorithm for tic-tac-toe, it loses all mystery. It loses all fun. It just becomes a question of, can you find someone who doesn't know? And then can you just beat the pants off them? Um, but other games, most other games, allow you the opportunity to uh, devise your own strategy. And when your strategy starts working, that's where you hit those pleasure centers. If I can draw briefly, I know I'm getting long-winded, but if I can draw briefly a parallel to modern electronic gaming, I'm currently super deep sucked into the Division 2. And my my favorite thing, like it used to be about the grind. It used to be about finding the gear, and I love finding gear. I love finding the exotics and things like that. But... Now, the number one thing that I love, and it doesn't happen nearly as often as finding an exotic, so that should tell you something, is when I make a build that's my build that I take out and I play with and I find a certain synergy with, and all of a sudden it's extremely successful in something that I designed. And so finding that meta, finding that build, finding those weak points that the, that the game developers purposely put in place for you to discover. It's like finding an Easter egg. It's like being a gunter in Ready Player One. And I think that board games that offer that same kind of experience, that's where the longevity of play comes from. 
Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that makes Magic the Gathering so relevant and why so many people like it. Um, they started to break down some of the psychological profiling of gamers and and kind of what drove them to play the game. And they broke gamers generally down into three groups, Johnny's, Timmy's, and Spike's. Uh, Johnny is a combo player, right? Just like you, he's looking for all those mixes and matches and how do I do something cool and how do I create something, right? Uh, Timmy is a power gamer. What he's trying to do is he's trying to find the biggest, baddest monster, the flashiest spell. I want to generate the maximum amount of resources and then unleash them all at once on my enemy. And then there's Spike who's strictly competitive. He's only going to choose the best cards. He's only going to choose the best strategies because at the end of the day, Spike has the most fun when he doesn't just win, but he grinds his opponents into the ground. And most people aren't just one of those archetypes. They have bits of this and bits of that, but you find that as you begin to categorize people that way and see what it is that motivates them, you start to find other pools of games and styles of game play that tend to mesh very, very well. And we see that in a lot of classic board games as we watch how they come together. And I think that that's part of the reason why a lot of those older games are more strategy focused is because you had people who were generally um, focused more on the intellectual aspect of games. Not necessarily that they were all intellectuals, but that the focus of those games was to outwit and outmaneuver your opponent. And so we see those things in chess, in backgammon, risk, axis, and allies, right? A lot of these classic games that drive towards beating your opponent by outwitting them and by overcoming the, the odds and obstacles that are in their way. Um, and so, you know, that's where I'm... I'm interested to know, we've, we've talked a little bit about some of these games, Dan, what are some of those games for you? What are some of those classic games that just like stand out in your head and why do you enjoy them? So a classic game, it's actually one I still have is Buck Rogers. 21st mm. century board game. It is twilight Imperium before twilight Imperium existed. It you is a, my curiosity. <laughs> it is a fantastic game that. You just, tra I mean, you travel around. It literally, it, it, I mean, that's the best way to pitch it. It was Twilight Imperium before Twilight Imperium was there. Um, it is a super old game, and I still, I, I've carried it all these years. It is a game that I really don't have many people that, that play, but it, it, it's awesome. It's a really fun, old, old game. Um, it, it, yeah, and knowing me, I don't like things that get beat up, but this board game is beat up. The box is beat up um, because it has been played and, and traveled with me. Um, that is, it's, it's a great game. It was released in 88, um, so that tells you how old it is. Uh, it's a pretty old game. Uh, you know, I picked it up really cheap you know, in 19, or 1992. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, this is going to date me. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was ninth grade. Uh, one of the first board games I ever bought for myself. Uh, it's, it's an awesome game. Uh, it's based on, you know, the old Buck Rogers, uh, TV series and, and, uh, and stories from 1928. Um, so that one's a really fun one. Uh, that's an old one for me. Um, that's an old TSR game, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, it. It has that really wonderful feel 
of being able to jump into a game and pretty much like you're exploring space and you have this things are building and the contention is building and it, it just I don't know how to put it exactly into words. It just tickles those right points uh, for me. It, it's a great game. Uh, you know, Risk, I've always loved Risk. That's a board game that I love. I have six different copies of it. Um, you know, I have Risk Legacy, which is fantastic. Uh, I really think they, they upped the ante when they brought in the mechanics of the board changes as you play and you could... Uh, Thing, you know, the board changes. There's things that you can't use until certain events happen. Then you can open up those components and use those. There's the secret uh, manila envelope underneath the the pieces that you should never open. It says do not open until you've at least played. I don't know if the letters in there are random, but I do know one of my uh, one of my friends did open it, and it said if you open this prior to f- completing a game. From this point forward, all armies played on this board game must be de- destroyed every round by half. So Ooh. everyone's characters, you know, if they have an army of 10, they automatically go to 5 at the beginning of their turn. A horrible curse. But I, part of me wonders, hmm, is that curse for everyone? But I don't dare <laughs> open my envelope because I want to be purist and I want to play by those rules because I enjoy that. But I have, you know, Risk Godstorm, which is really cool. It, you know, it brings all the, the old uh, Norse and Roman and Greek uh, gods in, into play. There's magic. You know, Atlantis is a place you can be. But there's a cool magic spell if you get it. You can sink Atlantis. So if, you're, if you're, uh, your enemy, you know, one of the other players, and they're your enemy, and the majority of their army is on atlantis in one fell swoop you could wipe them out by sinking sinking atlantis uh you can summon gods to fight for you but the cool thing is even though your guys die they go to the underworld and you can still slowly bring them back to life if you do things right so there's some cool components to that but i but it's all chance you're right you know there have been times when i've gone after someone with a massive army and they've had one guy and like, yeah, this is going to be easy. And they destroy my army. I'm down <laughs> to one guy. And it's like, what the crap? This should not have happened. You know, the percentage was on my side. Mm. Uh, but it does happen that way. They just get super lucky with their roles. And I get unlucky. And I, they, they just whittle me down. Um, and, yet, still- and yet you're still smiling as you tell this story. Oh, I know. Right? I know. And, and that's the fun thing about gaming. Whether it's an amazing moment or a really crappy moment, it's a memorable moment and it's fun. You know, every time I played Monopoly and I just wanted to scream and throw the board when I was younger, I still came back and played. Mm-hmm. You know, even now, I have, you know, I don't, the only version of Monopoly I own is Muppets Monopoly. And I love playing it because I get to play a Muppet, you know? And amazingly as that is, I never pick Kermit. I always put animal because why not? Um, Gingers but, unite. Yeah, I mean that's the only <laughs> that's the only way I can play Monopoly because it's fun at that point. Um, so yes, they're you know Parker Brothers franchising it out to all these other or pulling these franchises in for their board game is brilliant. 
so without that, I wouldn't have Muppets Monopoly. Yeah, I had see. Plain Jane, boring Monopoly. But I don't want all these other versions. Like, as much as I love Star Wars, I'm good with Muppets Monopoly, and I'm not picking up Star Wars Monopoly. And I still love how we've made it all the way all back the way to back, Monopoly yeah. here, right? Because you're illustrating one of the points that kind of sticks out to me about some of these classic games. Not all of them, but some of them, right? We love the epic success and we love the epic fail. We yeah. love the moments that are so improbable that throw us so far off the beaten path that we have to reconcile them in our own brains. And we say things like, Oh, the dice just aren't with me today. Or, you know, I've heard people say R and Jesus hates me, right? Like all these little things we call out to our various board game deities and, you know, beg for their forgiveness or sing their praises on every occasion. And that's one of the things that makes Dungeons and Dragons and other RPGs really tick is that they hit a lot of those points and allow you to progress the game in meaningful ways based on those successes and failures. Um, another similar game uh, that's kind of partway between your traditional board game and a role-playing game, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites, a classic game uh, by by Avalon Hill, now owned by Wizards of the Coast, um, in which you play a group of investigators going into this old haunted house. And it has some of that modularity that Catan has where you're flipping over tiles one at a time to be able to build the house out as you explore it. And, and at the beginning... I, sorry, I, go ahead. I, no, I'm just saying, you, you totally failed at the elevator pitch. It's a, it's a <laughs> B-horror movie. You know? Oh, excuse me. It, it is. It's a B horror movie. You and your <laughs> friends have gone out into the woods and you see this house on this hill. And you're like, huh, I wonder what's in there. And you decide to go in. No one does that. But apparently you do in this game. No, but it's, wait, it's it gets worse. Game. I know. I mean, not only that, uh, but since Wizards bought it, they cashed in. There's also uh, Betrayal at uh, Baldur's, oh, Gate. Baldur's Gate. Which, you know, kind of gives a and d spin to it. But you're right. It's a fantastic game. I love it. I, I have played that game. I can't even tell you the number of times. And I still have not played a single um, thing over it. You know, a haunt over again. So what's the singular mechanic that sticks out in your head that makes that such a memorable game to you? Well, there's two. One two. is the tiles. You know, the a house is never the same when I play it's never the same. The second thing is the haunt. Mm-hmm. Because the haunt never happens the same way. Because it's all based on die rolls. It's based on the room you're in and the card that's drawn. I think it's a fantastic mechanic. Because of that, it's you, you know, for me, yes, I've, you know, I have the expansion. So we have 100 haunts, 100 possibilities. I've probably played the game 20 times at this point. And I still haven't ran the same haunt yet, which is fantastic. I really like that. But even if I did ran, run the haunt again, it wouldn't be the same house. It wouldn't be with the same players. And it would be different. It would well, still... th- those characters wouldn't even have the same states. They would, they yeah. would all have different levels of experience. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So for those of you who haven't played this game before, first off, go get a copy. But second off... Um, you start out the game exploring, basically working together. And then at some point, a critical event happens that unlocks the second half of the game. And 
in most scenarios, one person becomes a traitor while the rest of the group is trying to uh, work to defeat them. Yeah. And uh, there are other scenarios that aren't specifically that, um, but it enables you to go through and explore the game, both from a story standpoint, but it also changes the mechanics partway through. And while you may have been helping your buddy early on, now they're the guy with the shotgun and you've got to figure out how to deal with them. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, literally it's like evil dead. I mean, you're in this creepy cabin. Why? We don't know, but Hey, we're hanging out. Something happens. And now Linda is trying to eat us. Why is Linda trying to eat us? We've got to get out of here. We've got to find an ax. You know, but your brains are so tasty. Dan. I know, but I mean, that's, it, for me, that's why I love it. You know, it reminds me so much of Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. So that that tickles my funny bone there because it, it's fun. But it also tickles my funny bone because it's a fun game that's never the same. You know, even if I sit down with the same players, you know, if I sat down with you and Josh and Scott and we played this game tomorrow and then we played again next week it still wouldn't be the same game. Even if we played the same characters and, you know, we were rolling the dice somewhat similarly, it still would not be the same game. It would be completely different because of the way the tiles laid out, the, you know, the mindsets we're in. You know, I, 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 to be honest, the creepiest player piece in that whole game to me is the little girl with the teddy bear. I don't know why, but she to me is the creepiest character in that game. So that sounded like a knowing laugh from Josh over there. Have you played Betrayal? Oh, yes, I have. In fact, I admit that, uh, first of all, I have a copy of my own. Awesome. Second, I've only played it twice ever. Yeah. Um, but I know what you're talking about. Uh, and the moment you said creepy, like you're like the creepiest character. I'm like, here it comes. Girl with teddy bear. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, The Shining, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick knew exactly what the Puritans of Salem knew, which is little girls are terrifying. And that's you know? just, that's the truth. And now that you say that, I think that's probably it. It, it, it is the tie-in, you know, you know, um, subconsciously to the shining that, you know, that kind of, I'm just like, uh-huh, that's, that's, that's where it's got to come from, you know, cause I do remember that. You know, even when we're watching like Ready Player One, those twin girls, you know, I, I saw the those. Shining. Yeah, I saw those and I busted up laughing, you know, and I went with my kids and, and my wife and not my younger ones, but my older ones. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. Like, what? And I knew it was coming. Oh, yeah. And they did. Oh, yeah. And then, oh, my gosh. They and that's. Like, oh, yeah. And you've hit on another really important point that Wizards of the Coast um, has has kind of identified among their players is you have your strategic archetypes, Johnny, Timmy, Spike, but then you also have um, your, your flavor archetypes, which are Vorthos and Mel. Vorthos cares all about the story, all about the lore. They're looking to see how all these pieces fit together and how does this and that relate. And Mel cares about things like art and flavor text, right? These are the things that add texture to the game and help them to enjoy things from more of the artistic, creative perspective. And uh, Josh, I saw that you were thinking a little bit. Yeah, I was, um, because, you know, we've we've mentioned Clue, um, Settlers of Catan, mm -hmm. Battleship, and uh, now um, 
Betrayal at the House on the Hill. And uh, for anyone who's listened to this show in the last three months, we have, um, I think, the requisite number of times mentioned Zombicide, yeah. right? And we haven't <laughs> talked about it tonight, but it definitely fits. Um, and and you've brought up Magic the Gathering a couple times now. Uh, and I, at the risk of of kind of uh, hijacking, of kind of nerdjacking this moment, um, I, I realize all of those games, all of those games feature the first thing that we started discussing, which was modularity. The idea that the board game changes every time. I mean, even Battleship, and it's, it brings a simple form of modularity just in the placement of the ships. Yeah. You, have a, you, have a, you have a set grid, but the players get to determine how that grid is utilized. And with Clue, it's probably the most basic of modular scenarios where you have a randomly selected killer, a randomly selected room, and a randomly selected weapon that are put into a file, and you have to play an Einstein puzzle to figure out to to deduce and the and the goal is to be the fastest to deduce right um and and it's brilliant in in its structure uh even when it gets stale they introduce new characters new weapons and uh multiple floors to the house and that was sort of like the old approach you know if the board gets gets boring then let's alter the board in some way and now in the current approach it's let's not make a board at all let's instead construct a board using modular pieces that can be configured in myriad formations um if you've seen zombicide zombicide is a collection of uh eight by eight tiles eight inch by eight inch tiles something to that effect uh and th these are square tiles that have uh you know, half roadways or portions of buildings that easily connect to other tiles with similar facings and the tiles are double sided. So if you don't like one side, flip it over and see what it looks like. And you don't have to make it square. You don't have to make it rectangular. You can make it X shaped or you can make it T shaped or whatever shape you want that you can build with squares. Feel free to build. Uh, there was one time for uh, a New Year's party. I think it was um, almost a handful of years ago now. Um, but we were super into Zombicide, and we decided to make a 5 by 5 board that is a 25-tile board because I had the expansions. And um, we decided to make it like a three-scenario mega story, which is what makes it awesome because it's modular and you can make up your own scenarios and it's all cooperative against the game and there's chance in the dice, there's chance in the drawing of cards, but it's entirely modular and a unique experience. And if I ran that 25-tile board game again, it would not be the same gameplay as it was the time before and so on. So the idea that, um, in fact, that's one of the most common elements that we hear about games, right? One of the things that people talk about is, like, like you were saying, Dan, it's never the same game twice. It's never the same game twice. You know, um, people have been trying to capture that magic in many other art forms and media. Like the biggest deal about the Indiana Jones ride when it opened to Disneyland years ago was that you had three different points that could make three different decisions, uh, thus making this 27-story permutation, right? And so you ended up with um, a ride that was likely to not be the same ride twice. And that was the big selling point. And games that break the monotony, sounds like Monopoly, uh, is is really where, where people say that this game has longevity, it has replayability, and it lasts a long time. So I think that modularity um, is the key mechanic that leads to the core principle of dynamicism and diversity. I think that's what makes a game last forever. Yeah, no, and one of my favorite games that I've been playing quite a bit the last couple of years is the uh, is Shadow of Brimstone. Um, 
really cool concept. Cowboys versus demons seems kind of boring, but you go into you go into a cave, and you know the game pieces as you go and explore it. It changes every time. Every cave is different. But not only that, they added where they have these uh, void gates. You go through a void gate, you go into another world. You could be on this snow world. It's all you're dealing with alien robots and lizards. You go through another void, you could be in this swamp where you're dealing with like uh, natives that the most advanced technology they have is spears and bow and arrows, and, but they're fighting lizard men and raptors and giant slugs. And you go in through another portal and you're dealing with uh, these flesh harvesters. I mean, it, it keeps going on and on. And they've done a fantastic job with expansions and the modularity of the game. But ultimately, you're a cowboy dealing with all these things. You know, when you're going after the lizard men that have these laser guns, it seems like, what the crap am I doing here? You know, and this giant robot can shoot beams out of its eyes that dissolve flesh. Um, why? I don't know. But eventually, the big bad guy is Cthulhu. Well, that's screw that um, uh, the sword is bigger than I am as you know as a person in skill uh, but it's super fun I enjoy playing it I love playing it and now that they've come out with another version of it where if you're not into the cowboys thing maybe you're into samurais they have a feudal Japan version of it where you're a samurai and you're going after I mean the big boss they have right now is is a dragon Yes, it's a, it's not a European dragon. It's an Oriental dragon, but still, it's a freaking dragon. I want I want this so bad, um, but I'm still collecting my cowboy set. <laughs> anyway, there's just so much to it. But that's the joy of the game, you know. And not only do you have the pieces, but they also come with minis. If you like painting, you can paint your minis. That's another great thing with Zombie Side. You know, if if you like painting, you can paint those. You can cr- make them look any way you want. Um, for those that, uh, that aren't into that or aren't very artistic that way, who cares? Leave them as they, the, as they are. It's perfectly fine. Um, Imperial Assault, same thing. Uh, great, great game. I, and I think a lot of game designers are seeing that. You know, there, there's your basic game, you know, Monopoly, Risk, Candyland. Those are, all, those are great. They're, they're, they're classics. They still get bought because you can't, you can't look at anyone and say, Monopoly, without them knowing, oh, you're talking about the board game. They're not thinking of a monopoly of like, yeah, you know, Disney is taking a monopoly of XYZ. No, <laughs> it's not that at all. They think of the board game. If you say Battleship, they know what you're talking about. They know the game. Clue, same thing. It's because they've established a brand and it is ingrained in us. You know, mm-hmm. even at my kids, I say, go grab Sorry. They know what I'm talking about. Monopoly, Battleship, all of those. I, I, kids know it, uh, just yeah. like we did growing up. We knew those games. It's part of our culture now, uh, you know. And you're talking about Monopoly has furniture now. Why not? I mean, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> you know, uh, there are games you can buy towels that have board games on them. You know that the chessboard is on there. You just need the pieces. Uh, you know, checkers, Chinese checkers. We had a giant rug in our basement that had hopscotch on it, Chinese checkered, Chester checkerboard, um, a, a whole bunch of different games. All you needed was the pieces, and you could sit on this rug and do it. You didn't need the board game. It's because those type yeah. of games are there. 
Now, I know we don't have too much time left, uh, so I got to make sure to do some education before we leave this episode, because education. what good would Dungeon Crawler episode be without math? Right. We've talked about no, 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 many no, different. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm doing accounting right now. No, no math. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. So, so we've talked a lot about the customization of games and we've talked a lot about the modularity of games. And so a lot of people, myself included, we look at games like chess or we look at, you know, card games, Euchre, Pinochle, Bridge, things like that. And we sit there and go, why in the world? Would you play a game so static when you've got all these different colored pieces in Catan and you got all these different miniatures in D and D and you got all right. Like we, we sit there and we, and we think to ourselves, okay, I don't get it. And I suck. I am so bad at chess because I can't handle all of the different board states in my head. If you give me a single board state and say, tell me what the best move is for this turn, I can do it but chess players are thinking turns in advance and what they're doing is they're handling permutations of, of all the possible outcomes that they could come to. Um, first off a deck of cards. Okay. Uh, people continue to play with decks of cards because the likelihood that you are going to shuffle a deck into the exact same order that somebody else has already shuffled it into is actually nearly impossible. If you're shuffling correctly, for those of you if I remember right, uh, someone actually gave a talk on this. It is one in 300 billion. Uh, almost. That feels almost, almost small. Yeah. yeah. So 52, 52 factorial, meaning those of you who've been out of school for a while, 52 with an exclamation point. It's 52 times 51 times 50 times 49 times 48, blah, 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 all the way down, right? And to give you an idea, 20 factorial takes you into the quintillions, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. Yeah, so 52 factorial is 8.0658 times 10 to the 67th, meaning... That's 67 zeros. 8 with 71 (laughs) zeros after it, and you still haven't hit all of the permutations that a deck of cards can be in, okay? A billion years is 3.155 with 21, 22 zeros after it, right? Like, you haven't even gotten close to the number of permutations in a deck of cards. If you're talking about a billion years, chess boards, it's so much worse. Oh, they cool. haven't been able to do the math on permutations because it is so dramatic and diverse. There are 10 with 15 zeros after it total hairs on all the human heads in the world. Okay. There are 10 with 23 zeros grains of sand on earth and 10 to the 81 atoms in the universe. Okay, so the first two, you still haven't hit the number of permutations of playing cards. But if you multiply those three numbers together, that still isn't as many permutations as there are on the chessboard. We do not have the computational power to figure out how many possible ways to play a game of chess there are. We're not talking about just arrangements on the board. We're talking about actual legal legitimate moves. And that's assuming that you force a finite board state, et cetera, et cetera, right? We're not going to get into the super technicalities here. But that type of risk mitigation, the modularity, the depth of these types of games is what continues to drive people and what continues not only to get people to play those classic games, but take the mechanics that they love and innovate them into brand new space with brand new franchises and ideas and colors and styles. 
And these are the things that are going to enable us to continue to innovate and bring us into the next generation of games. So if you haven't already, if we have not yet convinced you to try one of the fantastic games that we've already talked about today, please go back, take a listen. And now I'm curious before we go for the three of us, what is one classic game that you want to go out and try that the people should harangue us in the comments for not having played before? <laughs> so be, be, I want to jump in real quick and then I'll, I'll turn this over to Josh. After hearing you say that, I really feel like we need to build a supercomputer for it to tell us that the answer is 42, then have it turn us into mice and build this other supercomputer for us to observe, which is probably what's really happening right now. Yeah, we're already there. Yeah. <laughs> we're already partway through the algorithm. Yeah. Based on the earthquakes, we're getting close to the end. The, the earthquakes we're constantly having and the fact that we're stuck at home. Uh, yeah, I'll turn over to Josh and then we'll talk about answer your question. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've been a gamer my whole life and, and I'm very proud of my game history. That said, I wholly admit I have never played Risk a day in my life. <gasps> I've never played the board game. I've never played the video game. I've never played any digital, the mobile app. I've never played Risk ever. I've played Access and Allies. I've I've dabbled in Stratego. I've played chess and checkers. Never played Risk. And it's not I even am... that I don't want to. I just I just never have. Well, we, we're we're going to remedy this. I have Viewers problems. out in the world, please don't get too mad at him. Well, I mean, be <laughs> mad at him, but don't hold it against him forever. We will remedy yeah. this. I imagine I imagine it will get fixed. But on the one hand, it's gotten to the point now as as someone who's, you know, past 40. It, it's it's gotten to the point now where it's becoming entertaining to see how long I can go. <laughs> how long I can go before I have to play Risk? I'm going to be 87. Accepted. I'm going to be 87 and be like, oh, I don't know, Clyde. Uh, what's this risk game you got here? Yeah. Mm. Uh, so for me, I just, and I, I, I broke, I just barely broke this one. I just started learning how to play Go, which uh, is deep and difficult and is Japanese blowing my mind. Board game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Super, super old. Um, but the other one that's a little more recent that I've been, uh, wanting to learn is bridge. Um, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people say it's an old person game. Uh, but <laughs> as I've been talking to people who play, there's a lot of deep strategy and there's a lot of etiquette that goes into that strategy Absolutely. ways where you are talking with your partner without talking and communicating things across the table in a very specific way. And that's something that's fascinating me that I want to go learn. All right. So soon we'll be seeing Alton playing with Betty White. Which... <laughs> <laughs> what about <laughs> just, you, Dan? Just easy. Uh, a game that I, I'm going to have to go on here. There, there's a game that I've always wanted to play, but still have yet not. And I, I'm beating myself up for it, which is Fireball Island. Oh, <gasps> I know. Wait, 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 wait. Do you mean Volcano Island? Or Volcano Island, yeah. Never <gasps> Wait, wait, wait. No, does he mean Fireball Island or does he mean Volcano Island? Yeah, you know, okay, you know what? I'm looking it up now. I'm, I just, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. I just want to make Which, sure we're on the same page. I think you, it might be Fireball Island. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's Fireball I, Island. You're right. You're right. It, it, and it yeah. was it was a game released in the mid to late 80s that has recently been remade yes, yet again. Back. Yeah. And, and what was cool about because I had this game as a kid mm -hmm. and it's it's a at the time it was a 3D vacuum formed 
board yeah. where you had red marbles all along. It was it was like mousetrap, but effective and fun. And and it in the cover made it look like it was an Indiana Jones game. Oh, it's freaking epic. But yeah, never played it. Still have not ever played it. To and and there's a new version of it out now too, which is yeah. actually pretty good. However, while we've been talking about this subject, I did find a board game I'm going to have to to buy. I didn't know it existed, but Evil Dead 2, the board game. <gasps> I know. I know. <laughs> so I'm going to have to find this. Uh, it is a role-playing game. It's 14 plus. Uh, but it's a board game, so I'm... I'm yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Evil Dead 2, the board game. Is a wild romp through the cult classic film. Players will fend off deadites, search the cabin for items, and necronomic, uh, ne- necronomicon pages, and attempt to close the portal before evil is unleashed upon the world. Beware. Uh, yeah, I got to find this. Nice, nice. And and Dan, I would love to join you for a game of Fireball Island, whether it's the new one or the original. Hey. I, I actually on eBay there is a used 1986 copy. Of Fireball Island, currently priced at three hundred and fifty dollars. No, no, no! I got you, fam. Don't you I, worry about it. I think New I'll, printing, I think all the expansions. It. We'll, we'll um, get you taken care you of. Do. And the I other hate, one... I hate those types of games too. Yeah. But I will make an exception the, because the because they're gimmicky. Thinking of is uh, Black Tower. Is Black Tower? Dark, Dark Tower. Tower. Dark Tower. I, Which I recently had a Kickstarter. It, I, it's been a while, but it's come back, and I would love to play that again. I don't own it. I don't have any friends that, that I know have it. But that would I remember ha- playing it and it was fun. That would be I, one I would love to play again. My older brother had it, um, and I I was too young to appreciate how the game was played. Yeah, and we didn't, and, and we were kids, and so eventually the pieces got lost, the tower got broken, that sort of thing. Kickstarter recently had um, a campaign for like the rebirth of this game, and it they paired it. They made the the tower a Bluetooth mechanical device a smart device that connects to your phone the phone has scenarios it is way way cooler than it used to be and it was already cool to begin with given the technology at the time when it came out in the uh early early 80s um so if you have a chance to check out dark tower please do dan i have a friend at work a game developer who has the original dark tower and i think it still works it's gonna be fun we can play it together. If you guys don't mind me throwing in just a couple of honorable mentions yeah, of games ahead. I have not yet played. Um, I love the I love deck building games. Thanks yes. to my introduction to it via Ascension. I have <laughs> never played I've never played Dominion. Uh, uh, I love Settlers, but I've never played Carcassonne. Uh, I have like um, three different uh, expansions on that game. I have never played Gloomhaven or Mage Knight. Uh-huh. Uh and what's the game you 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 guys keep mentioning and like religiously gaffing like not gaffing but like like gushing over? Twilight Imperium. Yes, that one never yes. played that. Oh. <sighs> I know I got I got things to do with you guys. I got I got games to play. Like we would have to take an entire week off. To play well, I have I have a sealed version of Gloomhaven that <sighs> I've been waiting for a good group to play with. So we'll create some opportunity there. I have two different editions of Twilight Imperium, so we can play that. Uh, I actually have not played Dominion. Um, I have played Ascension, uh, but despite the fact that I've sold a million copies of Dominion and all of its expansions, it just never happened to be that there was one in stock when I was ready to buy one. Totally hear it. 
So, yeah. So for those of you that are now listening to us ramble about what we're going to do after we get off the air, thank you for your patience. (laughs) Go out and do some of these things yourself. Get them ordered in. It'll be great. Now there's like, huh, if they're going to play those games, maybe I should play those games. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, that's that's that is the joy of games. I mean, that's the thing that I've always loved and been excited about is the fact that it's a, it's always an opportunity to get together with family, with friends, and just have fun. You know, even when you're con- the contention is high, you guys are, you know, you're frustrated with the other guy because he just, you know, even with deck building, if they just stole the card you were hope you were planning on getting, you had just enough points for that card, it would be an awesome card in your deck, and then they stole it. Damn it! You know, why? Uh, uh, but that's how it is. That's how the, it is. But you still love playing that game. You still love playing the game with, with someone else because it's always fun. Even when it sucks or even when you're doing awesome and you're getting every card you want or you're getting every piece you want and you're being successful and you're awesome that day, it's fun. You know, the success, the failures. It's just like in role-playing, you know, when you hit those critical hits and you're just, you're doing awesome. Your character is just shining uh, and, and amazing. It's just as good as when your character is messing up every time. You know, I, I think back to the days when I had this amazing robe that I thought was brilliant, and every time I screwed up. You know, when it didn't matter, I was awesome. When it mattered, I always rolled a critical failure or really low. It was so confounding. Like I would change up dice, and I would still it would still happen. That character was cursed, but it worked. You know, it, I, I made it work. Uh, and, then, and that's, that's the fun thing about games is being able to make it work, enjoy time with your friends, because that's all that matters. You know, friends, family, whatever. It's spending time with the people you enjoy spending time with. So, folks, uh, I think we're done. We're wrapping up. Because we don't have anywhere else to go, and you've listened to us for far too long. No, just kidding. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning into the show. Uh, please, if you have any topics or ideas you want uh, us to talk about, I mean, I hope you're enjoying the topics we're bringing up. But if you have something you want us to talk about, particularly if you have a game that you want us to talk about, if you have a topic that we haven't discussed and you want us to t- discuss that, shoot us an email at info at dungeoncrawlersradio.com or go to our website. Uh, com. click on contact us you can shoot it that way we would love to talk about something you are particularly interested in and you want to hear about you know otherwise we'll just keep coming up with topics and, and talking with you uh if there's a particular author or individual you'd like to us to bring on the show we're more than happy to make that happen as well send your suggestions in and we'll go from there but until next time uh man i just kind of botched my own exit so we'll catch you next time <laughs> Tell your story, whatever may come. And remember, be epic, don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you, always.